Welcome to Red and Yellow, the podcast about all things to do with refereeing at grassroots level, looking at the laws of football, speaking to guests and trying to help you become a better referee with Adam Humphreys and me, Ed Connell. Hello and welcome to, uh, what episode is this? Episode five. Episode five. Episode five. We got to five. You know, 90% of podcasts don't get past 10 episodes. So we're 50% to being better than 90%. That's good. And uh, I'm sorry we had a, a week off, but um, that's because I was away and this week has been incredibly busy work-wise. And so there's been a two-week gap since the last one, but I'm sure our listeners will forgive us for that. I think in that time as well, I've moved house and I also toured Australia doing a play. So I think they'll accept it. Yeah, you, you've had a busy couple of weeks, haven't you? Because mm-hmm. you've been treading the boards again, sweetie. I and um, moved. Does that mean you've got you moved leagues that you're refereeing in, or can you still referee in the same leagues? It's all a bit weird. So actually, I was refereeing yesterday for the first time since the season finished. So it was like a pre-season tournament. It was called the First Nations Tournament. And funnily enough, it's the first time I've ever refereed live on TV. Um, and oh um, I know it was pretty cool. Uh, on SBS On Demand, you have to hit the red button. Um, and I think it probably had all of 10 watches, but that's fine by me. Um, have and, have uh, you watched it back? Have you watched no, it back and analysed no, yourself? I, I always I always get a bit weird when I see footage of myself refereeing. So here, um, here, like a lot of the games are recorded and then they're uploaded onto this system called Huddle. Um, and then we're meant to go back and analyse our performances and look at key match decisions and stuff like that. But I always, you know, when you're out there, you think, God, I'm bossing this i look amazing like i'm running around i feel strong i look good and then you watch it back and you look like a floppy banana and um, <laughs> it's a little bit rough so i haven't watched it back i might just for funds and and, and shits and gigs oh so i swore sorry people um but yeah so but that's like that game was two and a half hours away from where i live now so it's, it's going to be a long commute per game so i traveled for five hours for two games of football yesterday so oh dear but hey, that's that's the joys of being an elite referee. Joking, joking, indeed. I'm not elite. I'm <laughs> just a fool because I'm willing to do the traveling. Um, yeah, but no, that's what that means. So it'll be interesting. Uh, there's some football here, but the football here isn't quite the level that they need me to referee at in the state. So I'll probably have to travel to Brisbane and the Gold Coast more often. So this week is law number five which has the sort of very bold title of the referee. It's us. Um, It's actually about us at long last. It is. But before we uh, obviously dedicate a podcast talking about ourselves, we should dip (laughs) into our post bag. I don't think... Um, Because... Wait, Ed, I don't think you appreciate who your co-host is on this because you know I'm a narcissist. Um, so we've had a few uh, messages and emails uh, over the last couple of weeks. In fact, I got one uh, this evening, which I wanted to oh, wow. deal with. And you mentioned uh, one that you'd picked out as well that you wanted to, to deal with. So should we deal with my one first of all? Because We should. Uh, should, we just, should we just remind everybody how they can get in touch with us? Yeah, they can get us through. This one came through Facebook Messenger because we have the uh, Red or Yellow Pod on Facebook. Uh, we have Radio Pod on Twitter. Um, we don't have an individual Instagram account, but they can contact us through our uh, account. Mine is 
I don't remember. It's Eskimo with a C. Twenty-eight. Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And yours is at the underscore gym underscore starter. If you just type in the gym starter, I shall come up. So the message I got through uh, this evening, I thought was a really interesting one. So let me read out to you what it says. It says, hi, guys. Uh, could you please go through the best routine for a referee pre-match? Uh, like what time to get to the game, etc." cetera. Uh, and the person is asking on behalf of somebody that listens to the podcast, who's a new referee uh, and loves listening and listens to every episode. And he would love to know what our advice is for pre-match routines. That's, now, that's awesome. That's given me tingles. Uh, like, and it's a great question. It is a great question. Really great question. Um, and I thought that you're probably best place to answer this because I suspect that you're going to be sort of at the pinnacle of, of prep. Um, well, you should be um, refereeing at a higher level. And then I think, I, I suspect that a lot of what you say would be equally applicable to somebody in the UK who's going to do a game where they're going to have, for example, uh, assistant referees, um, because I think that's a big factor about prep. And then I thought I would sort of chip in with how things might be a bit different at the sort of grassroots level, because it is different at the grassroots level, um, although I suspect there's a lot of things they have in common. So why, why don't you talk us through your sort of pre-match timetable and routine, Adam? You're going to think I'm weird when I take you through everything I do pre-match. So, um, so my pre-match will probably generally start, well, it starts on the morning of a day that I'm refereeing. So it starts at home, basically. Um, which is probably not relevant for most people. But first of all, I've got to make sure that my food is is ready and I'm, I'm good to go. Um, my routine changes, like, depending on, on where I live and stuff. But generally, like, you know, I'll have a big old breakfast. Um, usually, I, if I, when I was in the UK, it was like oats and some um, jam and stuff and, and things like that. Um, but now here is normally just like eggs and toast and beans and stuff like that. Um, have some coffee and I'll just try and relax as much as I can. And, and I'll always time my day back from where kickoff is. So I'll do that. I'll probably go for a walk on the day of a game just to clear my head, listen to a podcast. I'll probably go for a walk and get a coffee. Um, if you can't tell, I'm a bit of a coffee addict. And um, what sort of what sort of time gap are you leaving between sort of eating your meal and then refereeing? So how many uh, hours? All right. So should we about? should we take it for like a three o'clock kickoff? Yeah. Yeah. So a three o'clock kickoff, I'll probably be having breakfast. I'll probably try and sleep in a little bit. So I'll probably have breakfast around sort of maybe nine-ish. Um, and then I'll go for a walk, have a coffee. And then I'll try and have some semblance of lunch as well before a three o'clock kickoff, probably at about like 12. It depends how far I've got to travel for the game. And that's the key factor. So here where I'm traveling a lot more for games, I'm packing food into like a bag and I take that with me. And normally I'll take like yogurt, um, berries, I'll take a salad, I'll take two Powerades, um, I'll take two liters of sparkling water and um, usually three bananas and two apples. And I'll normally eat that all around the game. So sometimes I have some of it at half time, or some of it I'll have um, right up until kickoff. I normally have a banana before kickoff, and I'll normally drink probably half a Lucasade. You can't get Lucasade here, so it's Powerade. Um, half a Lucasade before kickoff as well. Um, and the whole day I'm I'm hydrating as well. So the whole day I'm drinking. Probably I'm probably having like four liters. Like it's annoying because I'm like clinging to get to half time, and then I'll blow my, my whistle, and I'll literally have to like sprint to go to the toilet to the changing room. And then full time comes, I'm like I don't want to shake everybody's hands because I just need to go to the toilet where I'm just too overhydrated. 
Um, so there's all of that then, but all that's kind of irrelevant, I suppose, in, in relation to this question. Then I'll always try and get to a ground about 90 minutes before the game. Um, you know, like give or take, but I, I always tell my assistants here, the ruling is you have to be here an hour before the game Whereas the FA were like, you have to be there 90 minutes before the game. And so that 90 minutes is kind of stuck in me. And I like that because I like just having enough time for anything to go wrong. I like hanging around the ground so I can introduce myself to the players so that I can chat to the managers, get to know everybody a little bit. So, cause that will make my life easier on the field. So if I can come across as friendly, if I can come across as happy and, and they look like I, I want to be there and I'm there proactively, then in the game, they know that I care about the sport. They, you know, I'm not going to get those kinds of accusations. Um, and, and if I can just win one player over or one manager over, in those little interactions as I'm kind of milling about the place, then that's a real big win and that pays dividends in, in the game and the way you manage the sport. Um, then from are you, there... Are, you, sorry, are you turning up Are you turning up in kit or are you oh, getting changed? So, no, we used to have to wear a suit. Um, you used to have to wear a suit and tie uh, in England. Here we have to wear black trousers, shoes and a polo shirt, like a Queensland football polo shirt. Um, normally with sunnies, just because I like adding a bit of sparkle. Um, and and yeah, and uh, so yeah, that's that's it really. Um, and then I'll I'll ask my assistants to get there. And I say, I'll be getting there an hour before. If you can get there anywhere between an hour, and sorry, I'll be getting there an hour and a half before. If you can get there anywhere between an hour and a half and an hour before, that'd be great. Um, I'll be there. So, you know, you, if you want to chill and chat, we can. And then I'll just, you know, let them mill in. And I'll let them get themselves settled. And then we'll just start chatting about things. So normally we'll go for a pitch walk. Um, so now we're like an hour before kickoff. 10 minutes into that, so 50 minutes before kickoff, we'll do a little pitch walk and we'll check the pitch. And then that's when I do my pre-match briefing. And I talk to um, my assistants about their, my expectations of them for the day. And then we'll head back into the changing room and we'll start getting changed. Um, and we'll get changed into our warm-up gear. So we put on our blue warm-up tops and we'll put on our boots and our shorts and our socks and everything. And there we kind of chill and chat and just get to know each other a bit more and stuff like that. And then um, from there, we'll go and do a physical warm-up. And my warm-ups are quite intense and they last probably about 20 minutes. Um, and then, yeah. because That's I a combination to what? Running, stretching? Yeah. Um, so I'd start with a jog. Then we'll go into stretches, leg swings. I'm doing a lot of hip work at the moment, a lot of glute release work. Um, and I'll just let them manage themselves. Then we'll do some teamwork-based games. So one game I love doing is like I line up one assistant on the goal line by the corner flag and one assistant on the touch line by the corner flag. And I'll have one of them running in the middle and the assistants have to keep up with where the referee is kind of circling around in that little space um, just to replicate being in a game. Um, and we'll all have a go on that. And then we'll finish with sprints. So my, my rules for a pre-match are... And we'll also do like shuttle work as well. So we'll go through like high knees, bum flicks, sidesteps, um, twists, lunges, uh, high um, leg swings, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and I like using that time because we get to know each other. Um, I get them to call out exercises as well because they're just as important as I am. And, um, and equally, it's another good moment to show everyone that you care about what you're doing, that you care that you want to do a good job today. Everyone gets to see you're warming up, that you're, you know, you, you take this as serious as the players do because they'll be warming up. Um, and then from there, um, yeah, we'll play some games. I know, Then we'll do some like full level sprints. So I'll do probably two or three like 
sprints that's last half half the length of the football field and they're developing sprints so we'll be like 50 percent to the end of the 18 yard box then um then i'll say like 70 percent for the next sort of 15 steps and then we'll go 100 percent as you cross over the halfway line then decelerate walk to the other touch line do it back um, and that's pretty much my warm-up and then and then i know that my assistants are physically switched on the purpose of my warm-up is to go through every possible scenario that i'll need out of my body in a game um so i'll go through all different ranges of speed all different ranges of motion i'll definitely get my heart rate up and then normally i'll just walk it through cool down a little bit have a good laugh with the assistants and then we'll go in and just relax before the game put on our comms kits um just check over the little finickety things anything i've realized i forgot in my pre-match i'll just cover again ask them if they've got any questions and then we'll go to kickoff and so what sort of time are you coming back in from your warm-up to go back into depending on 20 minutes to go yeah it varies depending on what i've got to do and and how fit i'm feeling but normally yeah i'd I'd like 20 minutes i don't like to be rushed with anything i'm doing for a game like it like that's why i don't like assistance being late and stuff because it rushes you and it knocks you off your center point and I like to make sure I remain calm and centered and that I'm focused. So, um, yeah, I, I, like 15 minutes minimum. If you've got comms to set up, then I'll probably give myself 20 minutes. But not many people have that problem, especially in the UK, um, because you don't get comms till you're like, I think, on the conference or football league. Um, and sort of any contact with the teams at all before you go onto the pitch? Oh, yeah. And then obviously we, we, get, them, we get them out of the changing rooms. We line them up before we do a walkout. Um, and that's a really key moment for me. Um, that's I love that because I hold them at the gate before we come out or in the tunnel before we come out. And I'll chat to the um, captains, get to know them a little bit, humanize myself in front of them. So I'll ask them what they do for work and I'll just have a general conversation with them. I'll tell them a little bit about my life as well for the day, just what I've been up to and stuff. Just like as part of natural conversation, but I'll always try and make them realize that I'm just like them. And then I'll probably pick on a player in the in the lineup of the 11, just as a, for a joke and a laugh and make everyone laugh a bit. Um, yesterday, I did like a little stand-up routine, which is quite funny. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then everyone's laughing, everyone's chilled, everyone's relaxed. And they're like, oh, okay, this guy's okay. You know, um, and obviously, like that depends on my mood. That depends on the pressure of the situation. But there, I'm also checking kit. So at that moment, I'm checking all of the kit. I'm getting ahead of any problems before we get out onto the pitch, um, because I don't want them to have to bloody deal with stuff on the pitch when everyone's waiting and raring to kick off. I'd like to get in front of those issues before they occur. Does everybody do their equipment check sort of before you go out onto the pitch or in the UK some people do it the lineup or in the UK we used to do it um uh we used to do it as they were coming out the changing room which is is much better but here that doesn't seem to be the trend and here they're a lot more relaxed about things like sock tape and things like under armor um a lot more relaxed than they were in the UK so there's less pressure on it so like you know if you're just looking for shin pads and you need people to take bracelets off and stuff like that and earrings you can do that in the lineup rather than it necessarily being done in the changing room and just to help people who are listening in the uk would would that have been the exact same pretty much regime you'd have had pre-match in the uk so nothing's really changed no in the uk the only difference is is you get to the ground 90 minutes before and then you normally go to the boardroom for a cup of tea and you'll spend sort of 20 minutes 
um, having a cup of tea with the directors and, you know, with the board and everyone. And then you'd go out and do your pitch walk and then you'd start your pre-match there. So that's really the only difference. Whereas here, we don't really have boardrooms and stuff like that. So we just crack on our own, our own um, leisure. Well, my experience, um, there's lots of parallels really between sort of what you do, what happens at a sort of yeah, grassroots as level. I mean, when I've been an assistant as part of a team, uh, what you just described is pretty much the experience I've had. Mm. Um, sometimes the sort of talk between the officials takes place in the change room. Sometimes you say it's whilst you're out sort of walking around the pitch, whatever. I suppose the only difference um, for sort of the real grassroots level like I do, and again, it's that, as you say, the, there should be the parallels. Getting there early, I mean, um, just so that you're allowing time for travel difficulties, you're not turning up and it's all very, very stressful. It also doesn't look particularly professional if you're sort of running in sort of five minutes will kick off and that, that's just a bit shambolic. So that mm -hmm. I always sort of, when I'm doing even just sort of uh, amateur leagues, which are very social leagues, I'm sort of turning up an hour beforehand. Um, and like you say, it's being out there. I don't. I obviously don't have assistants, so I'm sort of doing the the pitch check myself. I obviously don't need the time to have a run through uh, with the assistants, but you do need to have time to chat to the people who are going to be the assistants from the teams to assess their level of competency because that varies enormously. Can I just, um, can I just jump in there? I always yeah. brief when I was doing grassroots. I always brief my assistants in front of the captains before kickoff. I wouldn't do it before the game. For a couple of reasons. One, it normally changes between like doing your pitch walk and kickoff. And two, you want the captains to be fully aware of what you're saying to your linesmen because that enhances your position. So when you've got four sets of ears listening to what you're saying to your linesmen, your club linesmen, um, that helps greatly, um, which will lead into the question um, somebody emailed us as well. But anyway, carry on. The, 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 I agree with that completely, and I do have the chat with whoever's going to be on the line to start with in front of the captains, because obviously I want to reinforce that point about whether I'm going to accept or reject their decisions. But obviously, at my level, you're getting, you know, the person that's running the line for the first half hour, then gets subbed on, and somebody else then gets to do it. Usually, the person being subbed off, so it's very, it's difficult in advance to know exactly who's going to end up ultimately running the line for you. But you can, you know, you can start with good intentions, the person's running the line, first of all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that time for a warm up. Um, and then I obviously, I use uh, the app on my watch. So that takes a bit of sort of sorting out. I don't like to be sort of pressured and stressed about getting that set up. So you, but I, I find an hour for this, that bottom level is sort of more than enough to get all those things done. Yeah, but. I think a grassroots is to spend an hour, maybe 45 minutes. Um, I, I would recommend doing a warm-up, though, even though you're on your own, and it can feel a bit awkward. Um, whenever I did a warm-up at grassroots, I know that definitely enhanced the way people viewed me as a referee, because that if you're on a Sunday league, that you're going to be in the rare group Um in a real rare group um, of people uh, in that league who do warm-ups because no, I guarantee you'll be like the top 2% and that will automatically give you kudos in the eyes of the players. Well, I always do a warm-up simply because 
the last thing you want is the first legs. time you well, I've got old legs and, and <laughs> artificial joints and but the last thing you want to happen on a cold winter's day is the first time you run to you know sprint for the ball you is you know you pull a hamstring um and so you know that's why I do it but I mean everybody should be doing it anyway to to varying degrees but but I, th- I think that covers everything pre-match routine wise, doesn't it? I think we've sort of yeah, I think so. The boxes. I mean, look, everyone's going to have the different quirks, the different things they do, and also you know, with your best intentions, it's going to change based on your circumstances and your situation. Like that's that's like my pre-match in our ideal world, um, but it's going to be different, and you have to be ready for that. And that's why giving yourself time and giving yourself a routine that you know that when something goes wrong, you can just fall back into that routine once you're back on top of it can really help. And then, you know, and 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 the thing is, it's a bit like when I go acting, like I'll have a set routine in order to make sure I, I'm going to get my best performance out of me. Um, and for as long as I'm doing that, then, then you'll be okay. And it'll be different for everyone. And that's fine. There's no right or wrong. But what I would say is put something in place, see how it feels, and then just amend and change as you go. Um, and the final thing, I mean, I same as you, I sort of tried to stage my meal uh, with a bit of a gap before the match with some sort of slow burn, you know, food that I've eaten. I also take with me things like bananas and I'm trying to hydrate myself as well. So um, that was all equally applicable. I think we'll save for another occasion, perhaps when we've got some other guests um, as to what happens and what's said in the pre-match Briefly. chat with the officials. Because yeah. I found I found that really fascinating. The first time that I was uh, an assistant to a sort of higher level ref, it was it was really eye-opening. Um, because that's not something you don't hear unless you're in the room. Yeah. Um no, but I think course. it'd be good to maybe talk about that on another occasion. We talk you know, contrast and compare with what mm-hmm. other people say in their pre-match yeah. routines. No, so I hope that answers the question we got um, through Facebook. What, what was the one you picked out from the post bag you wanted to discuss? Well, there was um, that one about linesmen, uh, club linesmen, yeah. briefing club linesmen, which I thought would be a good a good one to touch on as well after the conversation we just had. So um, the email was, I was referring a men's Sunday league match. Oh, also, I just want to say, we're not naming the people who... Um, contact us unless you openly state that you don't mind us mentioning your name and talking about who you are um, just for your own. Yeah. We're just going to keep it anonymous until you tell us otherwise. Um, yeah. If people email in, they can, we're going to work on the basis of anonymity, both in terms of where and when it happened and and who sent it in. But if you want, if you're happy for us to mention it, then then simply say in your message, you know, don't mind you give me a shout out and talk about my league. So Simon, I'm joking. <laughs> so I, Simon from Doncaster. Yeah. Simon who lives at. <laughs> so I was refereeing a men's Sunday league match, um, as has become the norm on a Sunday. I'm glad you're doing Sunday league matches on a Sunday. Um, I gave the Linos my pre-match talk and then 90th minute, it was one all. And the away team scored to make it 2-1. Oh, isn't that delightful? The linesman, who was about 10 yards away, put his flag up as soon as the ball went into the net. I waved it off and shouted, it's a goal. The home team went mad, shouting things such as, ref, he's given offside there, and ref, thought you said offsides were the linesman's calls. Um, sounds like a lovely day on a Sunday. Uh, can I can I, I just seek two, two pieces of clarification? Oh, the lawyer, the first the lawyer is, kicks in. Well, exactly. I need to be answering on the correct premise. But first of all, we're talking between about club linesmen here, aren't we? We're not yes, talking about yes. no, yes, it's so a Sunday league. an important clarification. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, and then secondly, they're the hungover forty-five-year-old who uh, who would rather come be to watch their mate. Yeah. yeah, 
And then when he says 10 yards away, he means 10 yards from, from the decision, the second last man, yeah. from where they should have been, where the offside offence allegedly took place. He doesn't say that. But I imagine that is it. I don't know if it's yeah. ten yards away from the goal, but that probably I think it's ten no, yards away. From I think the I think it means ten yards yeah. ten yards away from Which where the offense took place. Yeah, yeah. What I and then he so they all shouted. I thought you said the ref offsides were linesman's cause, and then the referee said no. I said offsides are yours completely unless you are not with that second to last defender, or I think you've messed up. <laughs> After the full time whistle, I had players, spectators, and club manager in my face all the way to the changing room. What I want to know is, do you think I've made the right decision there? So I just want to jump in quickly before we analyze the decision and say, I hope that this person has reported the club for harassment on the way to the changing room. That should definitely be the first thing, regardless of the decision, because um, we need to really start stamping that out. Um, so that'll be the first thing I'll do is write a long report and go, they harassed me all the way to the changing room. Um, I couldn't get any space. I felt intimidated and it made me feel scared if that's how it made you feel. Um, and, and make sure that goes into a report so that the club learn that that's not good enough behaviour. And um, with regards to the decision, what do you think, Ed? Well, listen, we, we spoke about this, I don't know which podcast it was, and we talked about how if you had that discussion with your assistants at the outset in the presence of the captains, everybody's aware that you know, you're only going to go with the assistant's decision if they're in the right position. Um, and so it sounds from what he was saying that, the assistant was plainly not in the right position. Uh, I'm assuming from his uh, email and message that he obviously never thought or suspected there was a, uh, an offside decision because otherwise he'd have a given it or B have looked straight away at the assistant. Um, so, I, and I think he was quite right to, to do what he did. Um, and it, sometimes, you know, it, it might've been easier just to, cancelled the goal, you know, called it offside, let it be a draw, everyone goes home partially happy. But, you know, you're a referee, you've got to make sometimes difficult decisions. And so I think I think he got all of that right. I think it's just a question of, of um, maybe some hints or tips as to how you sell it a bit better. And we kind yeah. of talked about this before, didn't we? And I think we're both of the view, because we had a chat about this um, yesterday via WhatsApp. As I was falling asleep. As you were falling asleep and and I just got up. But it, 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 I think there's a skill that you learn through experience and with age about how you sometimes have to sell decisions. Um, and I think that on this occasion, I, I don't, I don't think he was right to to simply ignore the fact there was an assistance flag up. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I don't think you should just simply give him the go and walked away. I think he probably should have gone and had a conversation with the assistant and asked him for an account as to, you know, let him let him try and talk through you why he thought it was offside. Because sometimes by doing that, you lay bare that the fact that he knows nothing, he didn't see things properly because he starts talking about the wrong player or the wrong person. Yeah. And I think I think it's very easy then to point out to them that you know, I, I, if you had seen it, you know, your flag should have gone up at the point at which he was offside. You know, we're not we're not in the Premier League. We're not waiting to see what happens before we put our flags up. So the fact that he didn't put his flag up exposes, I think, that he didn't see it properly. And then you explain to him, and there'll be other people, no doubt, listening about how that when he gave that decision late, he was miles away from where the infringement took place. And so that way, you're seen to be sort of not ignoring your assistance, but you 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 come to your decision having listened to what he's got to say, and and you stick with it. That's my view. Nope. I agree. Um, I think in, in a situation like this, you have to take into context the whole game. 
So, you know, this is a winning goal. And the guy is, hang on. Yeah. So the guy is obviously second last defender for his own team, right? Yeah, so there's exactly. obviously club club uh, allegiance going on, which is clear and obvious to everybody involved in the game. We all yeah. know that happens, right? Then, um, first of all, I think it's great that he made a really strong decision. Like, that needs to be praised. Like, it's a big decision. Okay. Um, I, I don't know, but he sounds like he might be on, on, you know, on the younger side of life. He's not old like us. And so making strong decisions in the face of men is difficult and that that's to be commended like like yeah. strong decisions are, are hard to make so that's really good um all i would say is in terms of selling it's a great word but i'm glad you fleshed out how to sell it yeah go and talk to your assistant and just say to him mate first of all why did you put your flag up when the ball crossed the line not when the second last defender you know not when he touched the ball as is the rule and he'll go uh, uh, uh and go you don't know dear and then just take the decision off of him. Go, I'm not giving offside. You're wrong. Thank you very much. And then as I'm doing that, as I've had that conversation with the assistant, I sometimes, it depends on a lot of things, but sometimes I might I might have a proper conversation with him or I might just say to him why he's, not why he's wrong, but I just wouldn't let him get many answers in. I'd dictate that conversation very strongly. And then as I step away from him, I'd blow my whistle. I'd call over the captain and I'd explain to him what I've discussed with the linesman. And then I'd tell him to go away. And then I'd, I'd chalk off the goal. And, and that way it looks like you're in control as opposed to just kind of shouting from the middle of the pitch. Um, sometimes, like yesterday in my game, I had a moment where I had no idea what happened. Like not a clue. I had a fast break and a guy behind me pulled a guy down to the floor. I had no idea. And then play got stopped. All I had was my refs and my, com my assistants and my comms going, stop play, stop play, stop play. I was like, well, what am I stopping it for? I don't know. So I stopped play. And then like, I had to calm the whole situation down. Nobody knew what was happening. I had a yellow card to give for an advantage um, that I gave. And I still didn't know what I was giving the decision for. So I just had to take a moment. I had to get everyone out of my face and I had to communicate properly and just take my time, think my way through it and make sure I got everything correct in that situation. Um, and sometimes that's what you have to do. You just have to stop, breathe and think your way logically through it to make sure that everybody understands why you're given a decision you've given. Even though it's clear and obvious to you, it's not always clear and obvious to the people. And that's when it comes down to managing an event versus just doing a football game. Yeah. And the more you can practice stuff like that, the better. And also it looks like you're calm and in control. Whereas if you just start screaming from the middle of the pitch, it doesn't necessarily feel like that to people. And, yeah, and, and no, that's when agree. that can cause dissent because they think you're shouting at them. You can shout back at them and stuff like that. Perfect. So um, if you do have any questions, please keep them coming. It's always fun to try and answer some of your questions or if not answer them, at least give you our uh, perspective. So um, did you have, a, did you have a, one more you wanted to pick yeah, out to deal with? we have one from your friend. Um, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Responding to constant appeals. Yeah. Um, hey, guys, love the show. You can stay. Uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts about teams and players that appeal for almost every bold and underlined decision during a game. As a ref, I'm not sure whether I should be verbally responding to every appeal with a firm, no way, never, not a chance, etc., or should I be ignoring it? Does constantly responding to it only serve to encourage that behavior? Both seemingly have their pros and cons, but I'd be interested in your thoughts and how you deal with it. I've just started officiating in Adam's old stomping ground of Essex. It's a baptism of fire for sure. Well, no wonder you've got a lot of people whinging at you if you're refereeing in Essex. Uh, again, another really, really good question. And uh, I mean, there's obviously no answer, no sort of definitive answer. All, all he's really going to get is our 
own individual perspectives. I mean, this this happens, and it happens quite a lot. Um, my personal way of dealing with it is that, that it always seems to be the same people. It, for me, it's not always everybody on a team. There's always a few individuals that sort of bleat about everything. Um, and I generally, after it's happened for a little bit of time, I will, during a pause, I will have a word with them. And I'll explain to them that, um, listen, anything you say to me is not going to change a single decision I'm going to make today. So you can keep bleating on as much as you like, but I'm not going to be paying any attention to it. And that tends to shut up a few people, not everybody. And my next step after that is I will call that player over. I'll call the captain over and I'll have a chat and I'll explain to the captain that, you know, his interference with the game is proving to be extremely difficult to deal with stop me from doing my job properly and that I have to caution him if he persists. And again, I find that that tends to deal with it. And ultimately, if people persist, uh, ultimately it's a caution as far as I can see. Um, what about your views? Uh, every situation is different, isn't it? I think sometimes I'll, you know, I, there's a lovely quote I use with my clients, okay? And it's by a guy called Victor E. Frankel. And it's relevant here. And the quote is, between space, uh, sorry, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, we have the power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. Now, when it comes to refereeing, what I think is between stimulus, instant happens, and response, you give in whatever the decision is, there's a space. And that space, players believe, if for as long as you have that space, players will jump in and try and dictate the game to you. So the shorter you can make that space, the better. So what I would do is I'm, I'm very proactive vocally on the pitch. I'm always talking to players. I'm always telling them what my decision is to crack on, get on with it. And I'll be like, he didn't touch it. Get up, run, let's go. And, and like, I'm, you know, I'm telling them what they need to do. I'm almost coaching them through the game, which annoys some people, but I really don't care um, because it makes my game so it makes the experience of the game for everybody so much better. Um, and so that's a great way of doing it rather than kind of like a foul maybe happening, not happening, and you just waiting and then going no after the appeal happens, get ahead of the appeal. Um, stop the appeal happening as quickly as possible. And then they know your decision. The reason players ask is because they don't know your decision. Then if someone keeps going on about it, going on about it, just be like, mate, it happened. Can, like, get on with it. Just stop being an idiot. Or sometimes yesterday, for instance, I had a player called Dion. He was complaining about um, a little foul on him. It wasn't a foul. I just played on. I went, mate, just leave it. Look, get back, defend this properly, job done. And then he did. He defended it. He won the ball and played on it. And then as I ran past him, I went, see, just crack on playing and you'll be fine. Um, and that was a good lesson for him. And the other thing I'd say is run away. Like if it's a big decision and like a penalty or something, just run away. Just run away. Because if they're chasing you, then you can book them. And, and believe me, the more you run away from them, the more you um the, the more they'll get the point that you're just not going to engage with them. It's interesting you talk about sort of how much chat you have on the pitch. Because the first the thing that struck me, the first time I had comms and I was being an assistant to Ryan Atkin, who you know, didn't he? He was out with us yeah, in Italy. He was the first, um, isn't he the first openly homosexual referee in the yeah, in England? He was the first, yeah, yeah he, he was. Good for him. And what struck me was I couldn't believe quite how much chat there was going on oh, the yeah. pitch. Because I, 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 prior to that, 
I sort of refereed in in, in absolute yes. silence. Yeah. And then I suddenly realised, you know, he's talking to people, he's using mm. their first names, mm. he's explaining as he goes, I didn't see that, he got the ball clearly. And, and it was that I learned a lot from. So I've kind of adopted that as well um, in my refereeing. And I think you're right, if you sort of are vocal about it, you sort of stop people appealing because they, they know what your decision is and why he's made that decision. They also know, um, your, they also know you're, you're, you're close to the game. Your, pro- your proximity to the decision is is clear and obvious. Even if it's not, your voice makes them feel like it is. And um, and and then also, if they know you talk a lot, it helps them engage with you a little bit as well. Whereas if you're quiet and the first time you say something is for a penalty, then they're, they're going to feel like you're not in control of the game. Yeah. It, it, it's like body language, communication is body language and your voice. And, and you need to use both as a referee a lot. And yeah, you can't talk enough on the football pitch, I find. Cool. There we go. I hope that's awesome. answered um, yeah. that question. Thanks for the um, great questions, by the way. I know it's taken yeah, really us 40 minutes questions. to get through them, but that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I was just looking at the time thinking, I hope people are still with us, but I hope they are because this is sort of the sorts of questions. things yeah, that apply to any oh. level of football. Um, I know that we've not even got on to Law 5, um, but I'm also conscious of the fact, and I say this every time, that Law 5 doesn't have a huge amount of detail <laughs> in it. And, 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 and actually... Most of it's about VAR. I've said that before as well. But um, also, can we just... Also, t- sorry, can I just say, people are still listening because they want Ed's amazing stats about the referee. There we go. That's true. Exactly. And this week, So they'll be listening to all the cows come home just for that. And you still haven't got a jingle yet, have you? Oh, I'll get one as we edit this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not all fun facts this week. Some of them are sort of just facts, but interesting okay, facts. <laughs> so I suppose being fun. But no, I just want to touch on very quickly because uh, since last podcast have been a couple <clears throat> of really quite big incidents happening at Champions League games. And I yes. thought it'd be remiss of us not to sort of touch upon them. The first one I want to ask you if you know the answer, because I, I, I don't know <laughs> if you saw... not be about some... offside. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one's about offside. But okay. Atletico uh, Madrid playing in their last qualifying game of the group stages and they needed to win to go through, right? Right. Did you did you see this game? No. I'm okay. asleep so when football's on in Europe. So they're they're pressing desperately to get the goal to qualify for the last 16 right. of the Champions League. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they get a corner in the last minute mm-hmm. and corner comes in, gets cleared, referee blows his whistle. VAR says, uh, you need to come and look at the screens. We think there's a handball. Right. And there was indeed a handball from the defender as he arm in an unnatural position, hits his arm, referee gives a penalty. Now I'm going to tell you what happened next. So what happened next was, was fascinating because the penalty gets saved, the rebound hits the crossbar, mm. and then the shot goes over the crossbar. So the question I wanted to ask you is wait, this. Wait, wait, can I get ahead of it? Did the player who put the shot in that went over the crossbar? Was that the same player that took the penalty kick? I don't know. Is okay. that going to make a material difference? Yeah, answer? it makes a massive difference. Okay. Because so, on a penalty, if the player takes a penalty and it hits the post, yeah. oh, you said the penalty was saved, didn't you? Penalty saved. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it then. Sorry. Um, I'm pretty certain that's right. Anyway, so time is up. All right, and all VAR is allowing you to do is allow the penalties to be taken, all right, for the for the handball incident. How much longer are you allowed to keep the clock running? Surely, for me, if the penalty doesn't go in, 
it's the full-time whistle, isn't it? Because all you've allowed time for is the penalty. So why did the ref allow the shot to go over the crossbar? Rebound and the shot. That do, do you know the answer? Uh it's probably it probably comes down to sort of phase of play. I mean, he's lucky it didn't get scored. Um, but you generally you generally just let that attacking phase of play stop. Like to to blow the whistle in that moment would be very difficult. I mean, how long did the VAR stoppage take? Yeah, it took a, it took a little while, but yeah. I mean, he'd blown and, up for full time though. So, oh, I mean, so he blocked so, full time uh, as the corner oh, came yeah. in. No, no, no. The, the, the corner was played, the ball was cleared, he blows up for full time. Yeah. And he's then told, need to come over to right. the VAR. So, the, right. so the full time. So, is, yeah, so it should have just been the penalty. It should have been like a penalty shootout then. Just the it should penalty. have been, shouldn't it? Uh, I, I I don't know the, the final answer on that. It's probably, I mean, what, as we'll learn under the authority of the referee, the referee is the sole timekeeper of a game. So it's down to the referee's own own desire. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I think if that was happening outside of full time, then there should only have been one more kick of the ball. Yeah. But then, but then having said that, like, what if it was a free kick? Do you know what I mean? Like, if it was a free kick, the like an attacking free kick, and they crossed the ball, would you then let a guy try and get the header onto the goal? Because the offense, you know, somebody's committed an offense to try and stop the game. So, how much in terms of balance, like, you've got to allow the attacking team at least a a second not a second bite of the cherry but at least an attacking phase i would say at least an attacking phase so i generally like if that was to happen to me i'd probably let the i'd probably let the attacking phase complete so i probably would have let the shot go in as well probably but just imagine the controversy i know if i know it saves it. crossbar because, because, and then the shot yeah. goes in and everybody be like hold on it was night time was up I mean, yeah, it would have been because he'd already blown up for full time. I, yeah. I don't. I, we, I mate, mean, we can keep that in the backs of our heads as we go through the laws to see if we can find an answer. Yeah, but it's probably one of those that no one really, you know, it, it might, it just might not be covered. And the other interesting one, of course, was the uh, offside. Yeah, the the game before last for Spurs. So the penultimate game in the group stages, which if they won would have guaranteed them qualification, which they subsequently achieved anyway as top of the yeah. group. So it wasn't the end of the world, but. Um, I mean, I've had to watch it a few times. I've had to read various analyses of it by various people. And I think it all stems from this sort of misunderstanding. That if the ball goes backwards, you can't be offside. If the ball goes backwards, which is not in the laws of football. Is it and not? No, it's not. It's, okay. it's just not in the laws of football. It's and so because I, thought, I thought it was the ball still went backwards, but I thought it was because his knee... His knee went. See, I've only seen like the cross. I haven't seen how he gets the ball down, but his knee is past the line of the ball, even though the ball goes backwards. So that's why it's offside. Yeah, but the ball going backwards makes no difference at all to the decision. Okay. I mean, yeah, his yeah. knee, his knee is ahead of the of the last offender. Mm. Um, and one thing which always caused confusion, everybody was like, "But it came off. It deflected off the leg of the defender." So he's, you know, it's not a pass oh, from his not, own that's player. That's not an intentional. That's not an intentional play. Well, that that's yeah. the key. And and um, I think a lot of people, when this all happened on on TV. We're having to pundits we're having to sort of go back and read out the law mm. to first of all see that the going backwards thing isn't a feature of the law. And secondly, this thing about you know, it has to be a deliberate kick. And that is really well explained in the laws, actually. Yeah, they changed as it. To, yeah. 
um, really helpfully explains to you what is meant by intentional kick or intentional move, you know, in terms of what their body movements are, how much time they have, et cetera, et cetera. But that, I mean, I, I must admit, I made a mistake last season where I called an offside um, when there had been an intentional attempt to kick the ball, which went backwards, and that was a bit of a disaster. But, you know, um, we're not, not And um, again, talking about strong decisions, that offside was an incredibly strong decision by that yeah. referee in that situation. Um, because, like, I heard Andy Gray talking about it as I was looking up, and he was like, oh, you know, I think we should just allow goals for football. Like, you know, we shouldn't be talking off goals that everyone would have agreed with that it was okay. It's like, well, you're clearly an idiot. Is why no major broadcaster now employs you because let's face it you don't know what you're talking about because if we allow <laughs> if we allow that to go through then we have to allow well we, just we have, have to, to not, get rid of it var yeah we have to it's not it's give nonsense. offsides we have to not give red cards we have to you know if we're going to let one thing slide then we have to let it all slide it just yeah. makes no sense at all in sympathy yeah, exactly. of football or not you there's laws that, that have to be stuck to in order to keep a semblance of control on the game just absolute nonsensical analysis so there we go. That's the sort of the news section, uh, which is a bit short this week because we spent so long on our questions, which I'm not unhappy about. But uh, so should we look at law number five? We should. Oh, I've got. Oh. Can you hear my dog whining in the background? Okay. Yeah, it's my dog. Is it Jasper? Is it Jasper? My dog is called Archie. Of course it is. Whose dog is called Jasper? That was a conversation I had yesterday. I dated somebody called Jasper. Oh. <laughs> Hashtag awkward. <laughs> Hashtag be awkward. I wondered why there was a massive eye roll when you started blushing. <laughs> God's sake, honestly, you're mixing up my ex-partners with my dog's name. Well, as God. long as I do that and you don't do that, we're fine, aren't we? <laughs> anyway, back to law number five. Um, and I genuinely think we can get through this pretty quickly, actually, this week. Yeah, because, so the referee. Um, oh, the other thing I didn't mention in my pre-match is I listened to the podcast so I can refresh my knowledge on the laws of the game on the way to the game. <laughs> <laughs> like you listen to my voice to help you prep and get in the right mind space to referee. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know what? I probably will. I probably will. <laughs> Honestly, I, I used to when I when I'm refereeing and I have, haven't refereed and it's been a bit of a gap. I do obviously go back to the laws, and mm. it would be honestly a podcast that actually just talked about the laws. I mean, if only there was one that well, you could why listen we to. It. I, I, I was being oh, funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's hilarious. Ed. <laughs> actually, I did have someone say to me, "It'd be great if there was a podcast that went through the laws of the game." I know you'd like to listen to them on the way to the game. So there we go. Yeah. So people will, and people should, and people shall. So I, I I think we can, as I say, deal with this pretty quickly. Because, yeah, sure. Um, it, was, it, doesn't, it doesn't turn us huge amounts. And then we can um, finish talking this about is, abuse. Yeah, exactly. This is uh, law number five is divided up into seven parts. And we've already dealt with some of these in, in previous podcasts. But number one is entitled the authority of the referee. That just basically says that the referee uh, has the full authority to enforce the laws of the game. So that's pretty straightforward. Number two uh, is decisions of the referee. That really just tells you what you'd expect. Decisions to be made to the best of the referee's ability. Can we just emphasise that, right? Decisions will be made to the best of the referee's ability. 
right? So no one's expecting you to be out there and perfect. No one's expecting you, like the game is expecting you to just do your darndest, like just try and do your best. That's all we need from you. We don't need perfection. Players should really understand that a lot more if you're a player listening to this. Just everyone's trying to work to the best of their ability and everybody's abilities are different. And I think that, that the first paragraph is, is worth actually repeating because it says that they'll be made to the best of the ability according to the laws of the game and the spirit of the game. And this is the bit I like and will be based on the opinion of the referee who has the underlying discretion to take appropriate action within the framework of the laws of the game. So, yes. you know, it's not a perfect world. Nope. Um, it's it, it, it's a subjective view of the referee who's applying the laws but having to use it based on his opinion and using his discretion. I think that really does sort of summarize what the referee's like, role is. If you want to give a drop ball as opposed to an indirect free kick, or, you know, you're doing your best to navigate your way through the game to keep control of the game. And that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, was there anything else in uh, part two you want to talk about? Because um, for me... Um, the fact is all based on facts. So the decisions referee regarding facts connected with play... You know, you can't make stuff up as a referee, which I think is obvious. And you, but. And you can't change a restart decision on realising it's incorrect or on the advice of another match official if plays restarted yeah, which is or the referee signalled the end of the first or second yeah. half, which is kind of just common sense anyway. Which, is also, which also relates to what you said. Yeah. About the, um, the Atletico Madrid decision. Is that the answer? Yeah, no, yeah maybe. Maybe that is the answer. Oh, yeah, well, because... At the end of the half, the referee leaves... The, oh, no, hang on. Has restarted no, that's, or the that's, referee has signaled the end of the first or second half. And left that, that just simply right. says that he has the capacity to go back yeah, after okay. seeing the VAR and, and, and deal with it. But that's fine. Cool. Um, and yep. there's quite a lot of VAR in this section, really. So, yeah, so um, we can not worry about we that. powers and skip. duties. Yeah, powers and duties. Well, um, again, um, the first four points can be dealt pretty quickly. You're there to enforce the laws of the game. Control the match in cooperation with other officials. Act as the timekeeper, keeping a record of the match. So you can provide a, a match report at the end, including any disciplinary action and supervising and or indicating the restart of play. I did want to ask you a question though about the next part, which is also in section three, entitled advantage, because this comes up a lot. A lot of people say, hold on, the referee's advantage. There was no advantage there. Um, it says... Referee allows play to continue when an offence occurs and the non-offending team will benefit from the advantage and penalises the offence if the anticipated advantage does not ensue at that time or within a few seconds. Now, I, I think I, I don't think um, match officials give enough time for advantage to try and play out. I mean, it's spelt out there for you that it can be a few seconds. Mm. And, and often you see a sort of team immediately losing possession and referees just saying, well, you know, that's it. I gave you the advantage. You've lost the ball and on you go. I mean, what do you, what's your views on it? I think a lot of players, I think a lot of referees try and cover a mistake under the advantage rule. So I think, you know, if, if there's something that might have happened or might not have happened, they'll like, uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, basically, it's not advantage unless you give an advantage. As a referee, okay. So unless you put your hands up and gone play on advantage, shouted to the greatest capacity of your lungs, so everybody and their dog, including Jasper, can hear what um, what you've said and what you've given as an advantage, um, then an advantage hasn't been given. So therefore, if you then decide to stop playing and go back for the free kick, that's because you deemed that was a foul initially. Um, 
Now, I think the, the problem occurs when, you know, you, you miss a foul, you let play play on, and then you try and cover it over with saying you gave an advantage or you didn't, when you actually never gave an advantage because you never told everybody on the pitch who's giving an advantage. Uh, for me, I look at two or three things. One, I look at um, how immediate the possession kept is, um, you know, and also... For, I, I go play on advantage like I really emphasize that last bit so that I get a few seconds so that then I know by the time I finished saying that word advantage I then know I've probably got maybe one or two more beats if that before I have to decide whether we're playing on or not a lot of the issue comes is when like a player you give an advantage and then the player who's kept the advantage kicks the ball and like spoons it or yeah. slices it out. And then uh, on that degree, I'll be like, well, you had, I gave you the advantage. You still yeah. had possession. Completely. It's my fault you're crap at playing football and you can't kick a ball straight. That's not my problem. You had the advantage. You had open space. You tried to play the cross. That's an advantage. Yeah. Um, so it's every situation is slightly different, but I think like two or three, I'm not saying let's go to rugby where, you know, you get like, on forever. Almost like five minutes of advantage yeah. sometimes. Um, but equally, if you want to start saying advantage over, why not? I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's good in rugby um, where they say, you know, advantage over. So everyone knows that you've had the, an appropriate advantage. Just keep playing. I think I say that sometimes as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, um, I might start. And then the next part of, of section three just talks about your... Um, powers in terms of discipline um and you know your capacity to sort of show yellow red cards to deal with with team officials um i thought the only thing that was interesting was the very first part of the disciplinary action section which says referee punishes the more serious offense in terms of sanction restart physical severity and tactical impact when more than one offense occurs at the same time so um now that's distinct from the one of the the scenarios you painted a while back, which was somebody getting two yellow cards within sort of a the same the same phase of play. same sort of phase of play, but two different incidents. That's that's different. This is where one incident happens. Um, you effectively sort of go with the biggest sanction of all. Um, yeah. So, like the key the key impact there is um, like a mass confrontation when you have a fight. Like get the two that start it get the two that threw the punches and get the one who kicked the other guy in the head, like deal with the most serious stuff. And then everyone else can just step away. This is why, again, when you see fights in the Premier League or whatever, you know, like you get, oh, but he pushed him, he pushed him, he pushed him. It's like, yeah, but we've dealt with the most serious thing. Like we can't, we can't remove everybody from the field of play. That would be absurd. So let's just deal with the serious stuff and just let, you know, handbags be handbags and glad rags be handbags and glad rags. You tell I've been watching the office, can't you? <laughs> um, within this section, they also talk about injuries. And I think it's just worth remembering because mm. I think some people misunderstand this. They think that unless it's a head injury, play continues. But in fact, the law says that um, you allow play to continue um, if a player is only slightly injured. And that, that's usually pretty obvious to you. Uh, but you stop play if a player is seriously injured um, or if there is a head injury. Um, and, and this is always so, difficult because players, you'll think a player is seriously injured. You'll then stop play, walk up to him and he'll get up and, and they step look up, at you yeah. like you're an idiot. And then at which point you just tread on his foot lightly. 
You don't, um, you don't step on players' feet. You just sell it. So when that happens to me, I'll get him up and I'll hold him there and I'll say, look at me, and I'll just ask him what he had for breakfast. I'll ask him what his name is or I'll, I'll tell him to sing happy birthday and, and like I'll try and sell it to make it look more serious than it was because I've stopped playing. Uh, for this injury and I don't want people thinking that people can just go down and, and stop play willy-nilly and then goes on to say about players who are injured leaving the field of play only coming back on after plays restarted and you've given the uh, permission indication to come back on an exception to that requirement to leave the field of play is pretty obvious well, when a goalkeeper is injured yeah. or when a goalkeeper and outfield player have collided and need attention or two players have collided and need attention or severe injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that pretty obvious points. Um, th- and then one thing that I think yeah. might occasionally happen is um, they don't have to leave the field of play if a penalty kick has been awarded and the injured player will be the kicker. Mm. So that's that's an exception. Obviously, if they then for the lead people played, you can't bring it back on until play is resumed. Mm. They can't take the pen, so that's a pretty obvious point, really. Yeah, that's um, but but it might happen, it might arise. Uh, players are bleeding to lead the field of play and they need to come back on once they're bleeding stops. There's no blood on their clothing, um, yes. or their equipment, which is um, something that does happen. And people get really annoyed about that. We're like, you need to stop that bleeding, they get really annoyed with it. Well, they also get annoyed about the fact they can't come back on, especially at grassroots level, if they've got blood on their shirt. No. And, you know, I know that they're not like the Premier League where they've got sort of dozens of shirts there for players to have, but it's a law. It's the law of the mm. game, unfortunately. And it's an important one as well. Um, and do, do, you, do you think we need to talk about the outside interference bit? I mean, it's... Uh, it's... Uh, it's just a case of... Um, uh, isn't it just a case of you stop play if outside interference interferes with play, right? Yeah, that's spot on, really. That's yeah. about, that's about um, summarises it. That's it. Um, you mean, don't, one, don't have I'd to say, stop play. I'd say outside interference is one of those things where, um, like yesterday, for instance, my assistant was like, there's another ball on the field. There's another ball on the field. And I was like, yeah, okay, just chill. Yeah, We only have to stop play if it gets interfered with. And if it doesn't exactly. get interfered with, who cares? Um, so there's that. And then also, I think probably dealing with that comes back to the very first thing we said in this, in that you're going to apply the laws in the framework. So, you know, if you think you need to stop play because floodlights have stopped or there's a bigger issue at play, then you have every right to, because in the framework of the laws, you you, know, you feel like you might need to, you want to get control again, you just need to take a breath or whatever, then then you have the right to do that. And if you do stop play because something comes on the pitch, then you just restart with a drop ball. There we go. Um, and if, it, if a goal goes in whilst it, Whilst uh, there's another ball on the pitch or something else on the pitch, then Pride doesn't interfere and prevent a defending player playing the ball. The goal still stands. So, um, so that's three. We can skip, I think, four because four is just yeah. about video assistant referees. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if any FIFA level referees are actually listening to this yet. <laughs> probably and not. And if they are, they probably don't think we're an authority on it. <laughs> but, but what I would say is just for the avoidance of any doubt, because a lot of people who watch TV, misunderstand what VR can get involved in. Mm. It can only get involved in uh, a clear and obvious error or serious missed incident, but only in relation to specific matters. So the first of which is whether it's a goal or not a goal, Mm. whether or not it's a penalty or not a penalty, Mm. whether it should be a direct 
red card and not a second, not as I say, direct red card, not second cautions. Mm-hmm. And the question of mistaken identity when the player is ref cautioning or sending off the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Those are the very limited situations in which mm-hmm. VAR can be used. So which is pretty that cool. will help people understand why, why has VAR not gone back to look at that foul? Interestingly, it doesn't say offside, it does it? It doesn't say offside unless a goal is scored from it. Well, no, but I suppose if I suppose a an offside that led to a goal would it would yeah that led to a goal work because serious misincident yeah that led to a goal in relation but to a goal in general they don't need to get involved with um well that's possibly there we go. true there we go um compulsory equipment in <laughs> section <referee>. five <laughs> is pretty straightforward whistle or whistles uh, watch or watches Radio card and how, how, a many whistles, how many whistles do you take out with you? So I have a single whistle with me when I'm in the middle of the pitch, but my bag is always by the touchline. So I have my spare whistles in my bag. So I can get a spare whistle. I wouldn't have to go back to the dressing room. Okay. Um, I can have a spare whistle sort so of it within, just takes within you 20 minutes 30 to seconds. get from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch to get it. I always oh, have no. two. I always have two with me. What do you mean on the side of the pitch? I referee in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> okay, fine. Sorry. Don't I go down the sides. Yeah, I shouldn't expect you to get to the touchline, should I? Um, how, many, how many watches do you have? Two. Yeah. One on each arm, two Garmin's. Um, um, and they both do the same job. Like, other brands are available. Oh, yes, yeah, um, sorry, we're not the BBC, are we? I wish we were. I, I'm, an, I'm an Apple Watch person, and I use uh, I use I find an that, app. I find that really difficult in the wet using an Apple Watch. Yeah, like the touchscreen can be can be a bit problematic. But I'd like note- a, I, also notebook wise, talking about rain, wet, and weather. I always take a pencil out with my notebook, yeah, and I always too. have a pen in my top pocket, just because when it's wet, it's easier to write with a pencil than it is with a pen. Yeah. I agree. Uh, other equipment that's permitted is obviously comms uh, or fitness tracking stuff that the players can have. Um, but referees are also prohibited from jewellery or other uh, electronic equipment, including cameras. So same rules apply. To... Although, haven't the FA, aren't the FA trialling cameras? That leads us nicely into the next one, doesn't it? Well, they, um, I think they, they want to trial... Um, Body cams for grassroots. body cams, don't they, for grassroots football which to try and eliminate some of these problems? Which I think, I mean, from my from my work perspective, the introduction of body cams to police officers has been, you know, revolution so good because yeah. there's just there's just no room for mm-hmm. you know queries anymore about what actually you know was said or happened. It's all captured. Um, referees, well, I did say referees in the world. Previous <laughs> episode that. that this is a audio podcast, not a video podcast. So all I'm going to say is if you are want to know what the referee signals are, go to the iFab app or go to the FA website and look because they're all got lots of images. The one thing I was always taught, and I'm sure you were told, was it's all about get your arms straight and deliberate movements and don't confuse, you know, corners for direct free kicks and that sort of stuff. Um, There's one here called check finger to ear. Other hand, stroke arm. That's extended. a VAR. VAR, oh, Adam. Okay, I yeah. wondered. I'm like, what the hell is that? You can tell how it's much also got, I don't watch these days, can't you? They've also got the one where you're drawing the TV. Yeah, I've got that one. Know, that's pretty cool. I know um, that because that's the same in rugby. Right, liability of match officials. Which, we, well, we dealt with this before, didn't we? Because 
this issue arose and we we checked it out and it came back and said that referees not to be held liable for injury, damage or other loss um, that are as a result of decisions made by the referee, which includes you know, the condition of the pitch, uh, whether or not to abandon the game, suitability of equipment, uh, whether to stop a match or not, mm-hmm. stop play, blah, 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 blah. So we kind of covered that before, yeah, which is perfect. a very sensible uh, aspect of the laws. Wonderful. So that's seven. There were, before we deal with uh, that was fun facts or facts, that was law five. Um, law five, so yeah, I meant part seven of yes, law five. Um, was there something you want to touch upon in so far as sort of abuse is concerned? Well, it's it's a constant topic at the moment, isn't it? Are you feeling that? Yeah. Haven't they yeah, suspended referee? You said they suspended refereeing in Ireland? Yeah, I think they were having a strike in Ireland based over this sort of problem. Mm. And I know that I obviously follow on Twitter a lot of referees or people connected to the refereeing world but it seems like this is you know it's a lot of people talking about at the moment and we know it's a problem from the stats Mm -hmm. um, one of which I'll come on to with my fun facts later on but this is a problem I think it's getting worse rather than getting better Um, and it's just it's getting worse Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, I think that because people see what goes on on the television, yeah. um, I think people feel that they can do or say whatever they like to a referee. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's worse because on a grassroots, it's not on TV, it's not being recorded, you've not got much assistance or watching it's going on. And I think that makes the, the referee just much more vulnerable so people are more prepared to do or say what they, you know, how they feel, thinking there's no sanction or mm. no no consequences. Um, and we've just got this mentality, I'm afraid, in football that whether you are a fan or a player, that you have the right to say whatever you like about decision making. And I know that a lot of people love football because it's sort of interactive in the way that everybody can express an opinion. Mm. But there's you can express an opinion about someone who's got a decision right or wrong. What you don't have the right to do is then verbally abuse the person that's taken that decision because as I always tell players whenever they sort of moan at me and think I've got it wrong you know I'm out here I'm trying to do my best to apply the laws you know I'm not showing any favoritism or bias I'm trying to do it as best I can um and that's the bottom line you know I'm you know to suggest that you're you know I find it outrageous when you get accused of bias and and that sort of thing it's just it really makes my blood boil yep because we're, we're only ever doing our best. I, I, yeah. You know, like you might have seen recently, like I've kind of come full circle on this. So it was like Frank Lampard said, didn't he, that he doesn't believe there's a link between the behavior of elite managers and the abuse of referees. And then we had Jurgen Klopp go absolutely ape uh, an assistant. Um, I think that was in relation to that. And I thought, well, you know, I think Lampard might be right there. I'm not sure there is. But then I thought about it some more and I came full circle on it. And it is, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, I think... And also I mean, the referee at the end of that Spurs game. Mm, I mean, he's mm. standing there stoically because he's got confidence he's do? made the right decision, mm. but he's being surrounded by players and officials, mm. content to be sent off mm-hmm. because he's just being shouted at. P- yep. People getting the law wrong, shouted at, People who don't abused. know the law. 
Oh. They clearly don't know the law, and that's part of the problem. The only people who seem to know anything about the laws of the game are the referees at all levels of football, and that's just not good enough. I mean, if you're Jurgen Klopp and you're being, you know, you're earning whatever you're earning, like, and you can't say, oh, well, he's under pressure and stuff like that. It's not good enough. It's human decency. Imagine if somebody on the training pitch came up to him and spoke to him like that at Liverpool. Like, it'd be, you know, it would be a... a controversy beyond controversy and it's just not good enough and like i say i but, came full circle on it i i did a little post about like respect and how we just basically don't have any anymore as referees um and and from that i got messages from people who are like i've been beaten up several times on the football pitch one guy is like um constant verbal abuse death stares he got hit by one of the player's children who was a couple of years older than him um uh it's just ridiculous like it's it's nonsense and and i think the reason is is because people like Jurgen klopp all they get is a thirty thousand pound fine they don't they don't get banned from the blinking touchline and you know like that happened on a sunday he was still able to be the manager of liverpool on wednesday like on on the side of the pitch how is that a punishment that, that uh, uh, sends a message I'm convinced that it is a lot of it's just learned behaviour and people seeing on TV. Mm. And I think that the FA are going to have to grapple with that fact because, there, in my view, there is a leak. But the unequivocal message that we've made clear, and I hope people realise how clear it's been, is it's just got to stop. You know, no one wants or expects to be abused when they're going out to referee, whatever level you're doing. Yeah. And the FA are going to have to step up and do more about it because it simply has to stop or referee numbers are going to keep dropping. It does. Shall I read out my letter to the FA? Yes. Do you want to read out your letter to the FA? I haven't sent it yet. I was hoping to get it broadcast somewhere, but alas. Anyway, so it goes to the FA. I write to you as one of the lucky ones. I write to you as a survivor. I write to you as someone who got through it, just. Unfortunately, many of my colleagues haven't survived. They don't survive because they're too young and don't know how to handle it. They don't survive because they were never prepared for what happened to them. They don't survive because quite simply, why should they have to? I have one question to propose on behalf of all referees around the world. Where's my respect? I write to you to urge you to deal with the ever-growing problem of the abuse of our young people and guardians of the game that the whole nation seems to love so dearly. And this is the crux of the problem. The love of those involved often brings about a raft of excuses for what can only be described as behavior that belittles the sport of football, nay, humanity. They confuse aggression, intimidation, physical violence, and abuse of others with the umbrella terms like passion, heat of the moment, white lion fever, and the pressure of the job, as one Premier League manager described it just this week. I've been both physically assaulted on a football pitch and verbally abused. I've experienced things as a referee no player or manager has experienced in their careers from grassroots to the very highest level of football. They simply don't know what it is like to be spoken to, physically threatened, and scared for your own safety in that way. All because of a sport. All because the people who play it are passionate. It's an excuse akin to the dog ate my homework. It offloads responsibility for behavior, a respect which should be afforded to all humans, regardless of who they are and what they do. I've experienced physical violence that would have been deemed assault in a court of law and verbal abuse over many years amounting to feeling scared, frustrated, alone, and worried for my own safety, all in the name of passion. 
You are losing referees in their droves. And who can blame them? To be 17 years old and to be screamed at for 90 minutes by a 50-year-old who really should know better is simply not good enough. It's bullying. To have to get an escort to the car park because you genuinely think that someone is waiting for you there to do you in or to have to hide in your dressing room for two hours after the game has been concluded behind a locked door for fear of your safety. You're not a referee anymore. You're a prisoner of football. This past weekend saw awful abuse from a Premier League manager who has now been sanctioned, but will also be allowed to sit pitch side for his team's next game just three days later. No wonder managers and players across the country are thinking that they can get away with physically assaulting referees like we saw in South Lancashire earlier this month. It is common knowledge that if the punishment for a crime isn't a big enough deterrent, then the crime will continue. Until you start sanctioning players and clubs correctly for abuse, both verbal and physical, it will never stop throughout the country. Your job is governance of the game. If you continue to ignore the referees who are screaming silently for more support, more safety and more stability for their well-being when they take to the pitch, you will have no game left to govern. Clubs around the country are desperate for referees so they can play. And your lack of strength in dealing with these matters at the very highest level sets a precedent that abusive behavior is allowed, is fair game, and is appropriate. On Hackney Marshes, we don't have broadcasters recording everything and policemen to protect us. We have a whistle and ourselves. A lonely experience when you have no colleagues to help you as assistants or to just have as a support there for when, um, or to just have as a support there for you when parents, players, and managers decide that it is okay to call words that can't be written in a respectful letter of this nature. It was my passion. It was my desire to try and make football better and to be a guardian of the sport that helped pull me through after I was attacked. It was the support of some very lovely people in my local community that showed me there was another side of football and that allowed me to continue. I'm thankful every day that I had those people to support me, a luck that isn't afforded to everyone. I no longer referee in the UK. In fact, I retired from refereeing, and a huge aspect of that was this abuse that I had experienced for a long time. I now referee in Australia, and my experience here with regards to this topic have been much more positive. I adore refereeing. I've refereed in the FA Cup, St George's Park, Upton Park, the Emirates, and have been taken all around the world as a referee. It's a glorious experience if you survive the abuse. You shouldn't have to survive when engaging in a sport. You should simply have to enjoy it. On behalf of all those who went before me, who will come after me, and who haven't survived, I ask you again, where's my respect? You must start punishing abuse throughout the whole of football with the full force of governance that is afforded to you, or the game will simply have no one left to referee it. Do better. Hear, hear. Yeah. So, We've got four minutes. Where's my respect? Sorry. (laughs) Four minutes. Four minutes for fun facts. Fun facts. Let's go. Let's see how we can get through. It's now time for Ed's Fun Facts. Do you know how referees in football came about, Adam? Uh, Because there was too many fights happening on the football pitches. No, they each team appointed their own effectively umpire, right? Um, who are meant to be kind of independent. And if any were there any infringements for the rules, then the two umpires 
would effectively get together. And if they couldn't resolve the dispute between them, they'd go to the arbiter, who was the timekeeper. Oh, wow. Um, And so that was obviously proving difficult because obviously a degree of partisanship and it takes a bit of time that they decided to introduce referees into the game. And so the referee kind of became the timekeeper and the overall arbiter. And sort of the line, the umpires became our assistant referees. Amazing. Um, And the first mention in association football of referees is in 1891 when the FA restructured their rules um, to to include... I I was going to guess 1891 when you asked Well. We've talked about 1891 before, so I thought you'd you'd probably get that one right. I totally would. Um, Quick, fun, not fun fact, but fact nonetheless, which I thought was worth um, mentioning. There's a real problem, and I think we'll talk maybe talk about this on another occasion. There's a Mm. real problem in terms of the ethnicity of referees. I think I'm right in saying there's no white Premier League, there's no non-white Premier League referee. Mm -hmm. And my question is, of the 200 referees that covered the top seven divisions last year, last season, what percentage of them were non-white? 2%. It was 2%. Yes, I finally got one right! But isn't that, I mean, that is just shocking. In the multicultural country that we live in now and the multicultural aspect of football for that not to be represented by the people officiating is shocking and i I found out that last year in fact there was a report submitted um to the fa um the black asian and mixed ethnicity referee group submitted a report to the fa and interestingly one of their main factors which they said affected the advancement of non-white referees was and they put it quite blatantly racism of assessors yeah. um who of course are the gatekeepers to the sort of upper echelons of the game I've so actually had, i've actually had other referees who are of a black background to um like talk to me about that and i i'm not sure if i entirely believe them um but actually as time's gone on as i've got older and wiser i definitely can see that as a factor um now let's try and finish on sort of a positive note because i think we'll come Shall back we? to that topic another occasion it is a bit depressing. Uh, how much do you think Premiership referees earn? Uh, £90,000 a year. Their salaries range from 70000 to a whopping £200,000 a year. Oh, to be top, Mark Lattenberg. Top Premiership referees on £200,000 a year, plus £1,500 per game. Yeah. And I mean, the FA Cup, like the FA Cup, like you get paid, I think, like ten or £12,000 if you do the FA Cup final. Um, and how? What's the average leg? Average distance the referee runs in ninety minutes, Adam? In the Premier At League, top level, yeah, eleven uh, k, eleven to twelve kilometers. Oh, which is... two for two. You can tell <laughs> I know much... more about refereeing than I do about football, <laughs> can't you? As much as midfielders and the top players, if not a bit more. There so we go. You, Fun so facts you, over. You've, you've only got to add ten kilometers to your game, and you're about there. Uh, you're very, very funny. Um, I, did, I, I suppose one other fun fact, but it's not really fun. It's quite depressing, really. But just on the topic that we've just been talking about. We're just trying to get away um, from depressing. I know, well, can I'm I just sorry. say, for full transparency, I know I'm digging you out about how much you travel in a game, but I don't cover 11K. I, I, I normally get between 8 and 10. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think on a, on a good day, I get to about 7K. Yeah, that's fair for the level you're referring 
Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask, what I was going to tell you, just on topic, Reef, and it was just uh, we talked about the you know the FA doing things about officials being attacked or threatened. Last season, I talk about uh, these are figures from England grassroots. How many bans do you think the FA or various FAs issued at grassroots level for people attacking or threatening match officials? Thirteen thousand. Well, uh, I agree. You'd expect it to be a very, very high figure, given the, the what we've read about it online and the correspondence we've had. But it, it was only three hundred and eighty. And I think what that really tells you is things are going underreported because yeah. I can't believe for one second there were only three hundred and eighty incidents of match officials being. When you think about how many games of football were taking place, that's what you'd expect uh, on a Sunday morning weekend. throughout the entire nation. Yeah, 300 is not enough. So so the message should be report, 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 report. And given that you've allowed me to just trickle over on my allotted oh, no. yeah, for sure. four minutes, 30 seconds, my fun yeah, facts well, at the end of every I'm not being podcast. funny, Ed. Fun facts is the only people reason people tune in. We have to give it the appropriate time. <laughs> uh, Sky Sports did some research in 2018. We all trust Rupert Murdoch, don't we? <laughs> and what do you think they... Uh, found to be the number of decisions referees were making per game. Per game? Yeah. Oh, so 90 minutes. This will tell you decisions? how draining it is to be a referee. Um, it will, yeah. Uh, between 350 and 427. No, you're a bit on the, you're a bit on the high side, but okay. it, it is quite... It's, startling high figure um 245 decisions a game yeah. which when you put into context they're making decisions every 22 seconds yep I can and that's, that. that's a lot of decision making yep um but their analysis showed that referees were 98 percent accurate yep well i remember pierre luigi colino do you remember him the god yeah. that is the referee he um he was a referee at a world he was like referee coordinator at a world cup or something and one or two decisions just, you know, slipped by the refs or whatever in the group stage. And so he sat down and he analysed every single decision that had been made so far in, in the World Cup at that point. And it was, it was like a 98, 99% accuracy. And the same research, how many decisions do you think an assistant made on average per game, the top flight? Uh, probably, probably a lot less than you'd expect. I always find when I'm assistant, I'm doing a lot less than I'd kind of like to do because you just get a bit bored. So what was it? How many was it for a referee? It was 245 for a referee. Okay. So what's a third of 245? About 80. So I'd say probably less than that. 50? Yeah, very good. 45 decisions. Hey, that's that's nearly three for three today. You're in, you're in the ballpark, which is extremely unusual for you. And, not, it just um, goes to show how much I know about refereeing, does it not? And what was their percentage accuracy levels, do you think? Oh, again, 98, 100 maybe. It was 98% again. Yeah. 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 I'm not surprised. So which, those are slightly more fun facts to finish up. But they? that just that um, does just go to show, right? If the top tier are getting at that pace at that level, are getting ninety eight percent of them right, then even on a Sunday league, if you're like you just by being a referee, being there, making decisions, you are clearly probably averaging upwards of seventy five percent, if not yeah. higher. 
So yeah. all the complaints you're getting, like it's so disproportionate, the amount of complaints you get compared to really how good a job you are doing. So if you ever worry about, you know, whether you're good enough, whether you're getting things right or wrong or whatever, like just remember these facts, these stats, you know, you're probably doing a much better job than you're giving yourself credit for. And that definitely players and managers are probably giving you credit for. Well, I've enjoyed this week's podcast, Adam. I know it's a long I one, mean, but it, it is was a long one. Well done to those people who've persevered to the end, as you say, for the fun facts, which are obviously <laughs> enthralling. I've got to find um, a bloody jingle now, don't I? <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 I had fun this evening. Thank you very much. No, thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And yep. as, as we always say, feel free to get in touch. Feel free to review us. Share the podcast with your refereeing communities. The more ears we get listening to these kinds of messages, then hopefully the better the community becomes for everybody. Well, have a lovely week, you and too, my uh, I'll see you next week for law number six. Next week, we're going to go two for two, are we? Uh, well, we were kind of doing about weekly before, weren't we? Before we saw weekly, yeah, uh, that's okay. Um, and law number six is the assistant referees. Uh, it's, well, it's the the uh, other match officials. Other match officials, to be precise, you don't mind, yeah. please. I'm sorry. That's gonna be, Short and sweet, but we might have lots of news again and lots of lots of uh, questions. Get questions. your questions in. I love answering them. They're awesome. Yeah, and uh, incentive is to send us more listener questions, and then we'll talk less about the laws, which is probably much more appealing to everybody than uh, yeah, exactly anything else. But um, but the purpose cool. of the podcast is the laws. Let's just bear that in mind. It is right. Awesome. You have a lovely week, everybody. Ciao, yeah. ciao. See you. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Red or Yellow. You're clearly a very fit listener. May I gently remind you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all your friends. And don't forget to please share it with any refereeing groups that you may have. Good luck on the fields out there this week. And if you have any questions, please make sure you send them in to us on social media. Voice notes or written questions would be brilliant. And we will, of course, include them in the podcast. Have the most wonderful day. Ciao, ciao.